people valued the dollar because you needed the dollar to get the energy that you needed for your community. Well, that's no longer happening. So when you start understanding that the dollar is backed by nothing and they can keep printing these dollars, you go to the converse principle of what makes Bitcoin so valuable. Let's look at its network effect. It's got the largest distributed network ledger in the world. There will only ever be 21 million. This is Decentralized Radio. I'm Tristan. And I'm Ryan. The goal of this podcast is to help educate you on how to live your most optimal life. We will host industry expert guests to shed light on topics that matter. We are not gurus, rather two individuals who have had to pave their own path to health and vitality, independent of the centralized systems that plague modern society. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Decentralized Radio. Today, we have Patrick on the line. Patrick, how's it going, man? Hey, guys. Good to be here with you. Yeah, Patrick and I connected a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, did a podcast. Well, had a good phone chat as well. I uh, was on his show. So this is exciting to you know keep it going because I, I think we could have talked for, for a very long time. And, and now we got Ryan on the line as well. Ryan, how's it going, man? Man, I'm living the dream. I've got Rona round three going on right now. Uh, the easiest one of the three. That's for sure. But uh, it's good to sort of like escape that for a little bit and talk about some other stuff like some Bitcoin, some health and dive into that stuff. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I, I feel like it's uh, kind of come to the forefront again, COVID. Maybe maybe we can talk about that or, or loop that in somehow. But um, before that, we should get into Patrick's background, which is, you know, nothing short of fascinating and everything you've kind of gotten into now is is right up our alley. So um, started out in Bitcoin mining, right, Patrick? Maybe you could walk our listeners through that story. Um, you kind of walked me through it the other week, and it was really fascinating. Um, yeah. So, yeah, how did you get into to Bitcoin mining back in the day? So, for sure, um, I actually grew up like, you know, first-generation Egyptian-American. Like, my parents came here as the first-generation born here. Did everything the right way, went to school, got good grades, went to college, got the letters, got the degrees. And I worked uh, for healthcare industries, uh, really some of the best and brightest healthcare industries around, you know, big universities, Oregon Health and Sciences University was one of the like the biggest ones that I got to work with and ended up doing some work for like project management companies like in aerospace with Boeing. And it was really fun work. Um until I, I just was getting tired of the same old repetitive nature of work. And my, my uncle came up to me and basically asked me a question and said, Hey, do you got balls? I was like, well, what do you mean? Do you have balls? Oh, yeah, I do. Then do it. What are you, what are you waiting for? So what do you, what do you want to do? And I was in grad school and I remember we mined Bitcoin and we paid for grad school with Bitcoin. So I figured, what if I did more Bitcoin stuff? So we rented out a facility, a big warehouse that used to be a FedEx building in Bend. And my wife and I, I, she had just finished like nursing school and I asked her to quit her job so that we can go mine Bitcoin. And she trusted me and she did. And we had fun. We were eating out and, you know, enjoying each other and playing games and like going to family fun centers together. Like we were enjoying the honeymoon phase and mining Bitcoin. And she doesn't know like what we're doing, but she's programming all these machines and Next thing you know, I take her to like the mall and there's like a Bitcoin ATM. And I was like, oh, okay. I've been waiting for one of these, right? I was like, babe, watch this. Did my thing, confirmed everything. All of a sudden, 
just start spitting out $20 bills at her. Just spitting it out. And she just like looking at me, catching the money, like Patrick, like, what the hell are you doing? Make this stop. Like, what is going on here? And that was when she was like, wow, Bitcoin is real money. And I was like, wrong. That's not real money. Cash is not real money. I learned this. And through Bitcoin, I learned what the value of fiat was, how fiat was made. Like, why is it so hard to get Bitcoin? Why is it so easy to use fiat? Like, where did the monetary system come from? And I started learning about Jekyll Island and got down that road and started opening up more Bitcoin facilities. And in 2017, when the bull market was like awesome and Bitcoin was pumping, I was able to pay off all the loans that I took off and just went even bigger on Bitcoin. And whilst Bitcoin went down to what, $3,000 again, that was me telling everyone like, this is my last time as my friends, I'm going to tell you this is, I'm going to give you free advice. Cause after this, there's no more like free advice. If you don't buy it 3000, never come back to me again. I don't. uh, And I sent that to my friends and anyone who's reached out to me sees that as the last message we ever had, because I'm like, look above. Like, there's nothing I'm going to tell you about right now. And we just went big into Bitcoin. Um, opened up another facility in Texas, started Pro Bitcoin Solutions, finding new solutions to use Bitcoin and, you know, figure out how to help the community better. And now we're doing uh, precious metals work. Where we're trying to educate the precious metals community. There'll be the Silver Symposium that's coming up in Vegas next uh, month, September 29th to October 1st. And That'll just be an opportunity to educate the precious metals community about the value of Bitcoin and, you know, the reality of why we love Bitcoin, why Bitcoin is the best and the hardest asset ever created. Like the only reason it's not in the Bible is because Bitcoin wasn't back then. Otherwise, I believe even to say that Bitcoin is the most purest form of money where it takes no evil or warfare to back it up. You don't need to show military strength to back it like the dollar. You just need to it to keep doing what it's doing, which is a bunch of computers decentralized all over the world, everyone with a common interest in protecting the value and integrity of the network. I don't see yeah. the argument here. So that's how I landed into Bitcoin. And then uh, in 2021, my wife was pregnant. I don't know how that happened. Um, and well, she said, I never want to touch my human anatomy again. works. <laughs> well, I learned that in college for the first time. And I remember thinking at that time, like, I still remember when I found out, guys, like I had to learn it in an anatomy book. I remember thinking, man, I've I've always wanted to kiss a girl. Like, but who's going to do that? Like, who thought of that? Like, who does that? Like, kissing sounds nice. Like, I could, I remember being in a portable, like reading it by myself because my dad took me out of sex ed. So I was like in sophomore year of high school, not knowing anything. I start taking college classes as a junior in the portable by myself and I'm reading it. That's not right. Like that's that's not right, you know. So that was but at the end of the day it's like we need to understand the value of what what we're doing here with Bitcoin and so coming across someone like Tristan as I learned about Bitcoin and what's happening because of Bitcoin I learned what real money was. Because of learning about what real money was, I learned about the manipulation in our systems. And once you start going down one rabbit hole, you go down to the next rabbit hole. And then you go I'm not eating McDonald's ever again. That's not going to happen. I can't even do that, right? So you start learning about where can you get real beef and where do you get real food for your family? And Dylan goes, hey, have you seen this book? I was like, no, I haven't. Sounds like my type of guy. 
oh, look at his Facebook picture. He works out. So do I. Just so you guys know, I've been working out. So you start learning like all these things we have in common. And it's beautiful. There's so many of us out here who would support each other. Like without even like the drop of a hat, you can have a total stranger on Twitter, hear what's going on, be moved by your story. And imagine if like 10,000 people sent $1 of Bitcoin. Like one family's needs can be met just like that by 1% of a Twitter audience is following, sending one Bitcoin, $1 of Bitcoin. I mean, we have opportunity to make real changes or something as simple as like, hey, we found out people are hungry, you guys. What about if you're bison? You said, hey, guys, I'm going to sponsor a family. Okay. Once this thing hits $7,000, I'm going to send out X number of pounds and you just sponsor the giveaway of your product for cost and the community funds it and everyone gets help. You know, there's so much beauty in decentralization because it allows us the flexibility to create new systems and structures to replace the failed systems and structures we no longer want to support. So to me, it's why decentralization matters. I'd say, Tristan, you kind of hit the nail on the head. If you even get down to like the micro of your book, when you talk about the micronutrients in, in our food supply, if you want something of substance and of value, it takes work. It takes effort. You, you raise that meat in it with love and with care because you're going to put it in your body. And I think of my finances in the same manner. If you expect to have something of value, it, it takes work to get. There's no cheating proof of work, really, at the end of the day. So, no. yeah, that's uh well, that was a beautiful summary. I mean, it's it's so true. It's so contagious, right? Like, I love doing these podcasts. I mean, just because I love connecting with like-minded individuals like yourself. It, it just gets me fired up because for a while, especially a lot of us, we take this kind of step outside of the normal society and you yeah. feel a bit isolated. You feel kind of like cavalier. You're taking the path less traveled and it's daunting. You know, it's, it's kind of intimidating uh, at many points. But then once you start to build a community and, and meet all these other people, you realize, yeah, we're actually, you know, there's other folks out there with the same mindset and we're so powerful together. It's, uh, it's awesome. And that's part of the reason why we do this. Um, but for you, you, you know, it's quite an interesting journey because it seems like you kind of got into the Bitcoin mining as like a side hustle, like really early on. And then because of that, you realized, you know, it was a, a good financial opportunity, but then Bitcoin kind of educated you or made you get educated on really what was wrong with the system, wrong with society. So m- maybe you could get into that a little bit. Is that true? It was kind of like a side hustle. And then what made you really like open your mind and start learning about Bitcoin and, you know, everything that you just mentioned. So, you know, beautifully there. Growing up, I never wasted anything. I didn't waste time. I didn't waste resources. I didn't waste money. And when I was in college going through grad school, we had some computer lab hours that were allotted to us as part of the program. And a buddy of mine, uh, much like yourself, a much smarter guy who thinks in the way that engineers think, right? Because you guys know about engineers, right? They're like a special breed of people. You have to speak a special language to them. And, you know, no offense, Tristan. I mean, I'll still have a stake with you and stuff. But like when you start talking with engineers, they're different. And I was like, dude, so what are you asking me? 
can I use your computer lab hours? Yeah, sure. Go for it. I'm not using it anyways. Let's do that. They go, okay. Well, guys, a couple years go by as I'm finishing up grad school. Here's your Bitcoin. Huh? Here's your portion of the Bitcoin. What is this? This is, this is real? No, no. Do you want dollars or do you want the Bitcoin? I want the dollars. Just cash me out. Okay. I got the cash. It paid for grad school and my student loans and a lot more. And I wasn't really sure what had happened. Like I really had to research like if it was legit, you know, like because he was Saudi. So you go, well, what's going on? You know, you had to really like ask what was going on. And when you learned about it, I I remember when I bought my first thousand miners because it happened by accident, right? When I got into Bitcoin, it was like, what is this? How did you do that? Like, this is legal. How does it function? What is this? Where do you get miners from? And I remember my mom calling me and I was, she was asking me about if I'm coming over for something. I said, mom, I can't. I've got a bunch of miners coming from China. I've got a thousand of them coming from China. Patrick, how are you going to feed all of those kids? What are you going to do with them? Where are they going to sleep? Like, no, mom, not like children, like computers, like not miners. Like, <laughs> that's not what I'm buying from China. What do you think I'm doing? Bitcoin is for buying the kids, right? Like, no, mom. Like, it's not just like illicit black market activity. Like, it, it took some convincing. People were laughing at me. And I didn't even really know. I kind of stumbled into Bitcoin just because I surrounded myself with people who are smarter than me. Just always looking for someone who had a better idea or a different perspective on the way they think because I don't actually fear a different way of thinking. I think, okay, why is it that person thinks that way? What perspective are they coming from? How can that inform my decision-making ability? And you start learning. Um, But at the end of the day, I can unequivocally say that there is no asset in history that has ever outperformed Bitcoin in a four-year period. Even if you had dollar cost averaged from the highs, if you started buying Bitcoin every day, same amount, only when Bitcoin started like at its all-time highs in the 65, you would still be up today. Like you'd be even, if not up, based on the math that I saw. So dollar cost averaging over a four-year period, you never lose. So something that I, I, I was thinking when you were talking about that, and I love the impression of your mother, by the way. Um, is, is, um, because I get, I get this sort of confrontation about Bitcoin all the time from either friends or family members or, or whatever. It's this, this idea of like intrinsic value. But as we spoke to, we spoke to a few people, including Kayla Long about this, and we sort of discuss the idea of like, what, what's valuable is what you deem to be valuable. So like the reason we deem fiat valuable is we just deem it to be valuable. It's just how it is. And then it's been built up over like a long time and trust and all this stuff. So what, what makes in your mind, Bitcoin intrinsically valuable or maybe more valuable than fiat or more valuable than say precious metals? Because that's like, I think a default in people's minds. So sort Mm. of what's your point of view on that? Because in my mind, it makes sense that you put value on things that you just put value on, right? So why should people put value on Bitcoin? And secondary to that too, is I think when I was introduced to Bitcoin, not 
too many years ago, maybe like six years ago, it was looked at from my friends as a way to make quick cash. So they were still viewing it in the fiat perspective of this is value in dollars, but I want to make quick cash. And I actually have a friend who started mining probably around the time that you got into mining, actually. Um, and I never really talked about it too much. I wish I did at the time. It just sounded like this sort of quirky thing. I would come over and his, ho- his house was like beaming hot all the time from these computers. <laughs> It'd be like a yep. sauna in there. That's, um, those are the signs where you know that someone is not lying. Because I've heard stories over and over again of people who've lost thousands of Bitcoins and this and that. But if you ask my wife, what is the worst part of mining Bitcoin? She'll, she'll tell you. And this is how, you, again, you know. You hear things like, oh, it's so hot or this. But she'll tell you. It's unboxing every miner and unpackaging it and plugging all the wires and they just eat your fingers up. You know, it's like 12 cables per machine plus the power supply. You're going, man, my fingers are raw. That's exactly right. Your friend mine. Hey, friend. Thanks for listening. If you really enjoy this podcast, it would be really appreciated if you left us a five-star review on Spotify, Apple, or subscribe to our content on YouTube. This helps us get to a larger reach and a larger audience to spread this wonderful free education. Yeah. And I guess, I guess really my question is like, we, cause we've been talking about like the best part about it is, is the work, right? It's putting in the work. But every time I've ever spoken about this with anybody in person, anyways, last several years, it's always been about the convenience factor of like doing less work and making more money, but it's always in the guise of fiat currency. So that's why I asked you about the intrinsic value yeah. of Bitcoin. So we can break that down. There, There's so much to unwrap there, um, but I'll try to kind of hit it on point by point. I'm going to start with a simple analogy. Let's say you have a brand new YouTuber who started a show and he's got 10 views and you find a, a company like, let's say like Tesla, they want to uh, get their message out and they want to you know, work with a YouTuber. Would they go to someone who's that new YouTuber or would they prefer someone like Mr. Beast? Right? Why is it, why would they prefer Mr. Beast? Uh, Volume, views. Volume, volume of what? His network. Yeah. So you value the network. You value his reach. You value his influence. You value how big he is. Now, when we take a look at value, value has traditionally been changed over time. We've seen fiat collapse excuse me, over and over. In in history, fiat always collapses. Excuse me, guys. You can almost argue that the dollar as we know it today even still isn't the same dollar we had in the past because the dollar has changed over time. And in the past, the dollar was redeemable for gold. So it really wasn't the same thing as fiat. When you can redeem it for ounces of gold or ounces of silver, it's truly a derivative of gold and silver. It's not the same thing. When they went off of the gold standard with Nixon and what happened was Kissinger went over and negotiated for the petrodollar. And that's why the dollar became a value. People valued the dollar because you needed the dollar to get the energy that you needed for your community, to get the oil. Well, that's no longer happening. So what we're seeing is the dollars are flooding back from the U- or from other countries into the U.S. And that's going to further devalue the dollar. You see countries like the BRICS nations, even yesterday, my home country, Egypt, actually joined BRICS nations. You hear Mexico is about to join BRICS nations. 
What would that look like having a Chinese military base financed by Russia in Mexico? I mean, these are the things we're really talking about here. But is the dollar really a value anymore? What is dollar? So when you start understanding that the dollar is backed by nothing and they can keep printing these dollars, you go to the converse principle of what makes Bitcoin so valuable. And this is the thing that the gold bugs and the silver bugs like to argue is, well, gold is a better way to hedge against inflation. Inflation is what? Printing of more dollars, devaluing the currency. So gold and silver, they argue that they do it in defense of the failed monetary system and supply that we have. So if you're looking at gold and silver as valuable, then you ask the question of, why is gold and silver valuable? Well, there are properties of money. Is it fungible? You know, are you able to have it? Is it durable? Gold and silver doesn't break down over time. You can store it for a long time. Is it something that is authentic and easily to defraud? No, right? You can know what real gold is and real silver is. There are properties of money that we value, including scarcity, right? It's easy. If you, anyone can go dig up gold with a shovel, it wouldn't really be that valuable. Well, let's talk about those same properties of sound money. The same property of sound money that you would look at when you consider Bitcoin. Well, what about Bitcoin? Let's look at its network effect. It's got the largest distributed network ledger in the world. It is supported and the hash rate continues to grow. The basic fundamentals of Bitcoin, the number of people supporting the network continues to be at all-time highs. Even though 93% of the Bitcoin is mined and they'll never see the market ever again, it's being hodled. 76% of all Bitcoin ever created hasn't moved in the past year. So what you're telling me is miners are getting the Bitcoin and they're not moving it. They're not spending it. They're keeping their Bitcoin because there's one thing about Bitcoin that is unlike any other asset class ever created in history, which is its scarcity. There will only ever be 21 million. You can never get more. So we've got a decreasing supply every four years and increasing demand as you look at ETFs and nations that are failing and banking systems that are failing. You know, people are looking for an escape. In Nigeria, Bitcoin is going for 60% premiums. I thought gold was like four and 5%. You're right. <laughs> it's more valuable than gold. No, did I just say that? Yes, I did. So what I would venture to say is, if you actually understand the properties of sound money, you would understand that Bitcoin is not something that can ever be defrauded. You can never manipulate it. You can never change it. It is immutable. You can never replicate something that is Bitcoin. This is the properties of money that governments and people who value truth hate. Because when you take a Bitcoin transaction, and if I said, hey, Tristan sent me his address, told me to send him this much Bitcoin, he would send me beef and he didn't do it. And I'd go to court and I'd sue him and I'd say, I want beef so bad. Give, or he's like, well, the contract was for bison, you idiot. And I was like, well, you still owe me beef. I'm sorry. And they'll say, well, you never sent him the money. And I'll say, it's on the blockchain. That is in court. You can actually use blockchain information from the Bitcoin network specifically as evidence in court because what happened can never change. Maybe he gave me the wrong address. I could still prove that's the address he told me to send it to. And I sent the money to that address. That's not my problem. I'll win in court. You owe me beef. I can negotiate for bison, but you still owe me beef. You know, that's, that's how Bitcoin works. And as you start doing smart contracts in the future, why would we need an escrow company? Why do we need a title company to verify that you own the home? If you only have one deed to the house and only one person can own it and it's in your wallet, 
and you say, hey, there's a smart contract. When you send this much Bitcoin, I send you this house deed and it executes upon immediate solutions. Once it's settled, it's done. There's nothing to talk about. There's no fraud. We don't need a title company. We don't need escrow companies. Those guys are gone. When you eliminate the friction and the waste, you make a more productive society. And that's what I think a lot of us are going to go for. The question people would ask is, well, what happens when everything shuts down and they don't allow you to do that anymore? Well, you can't stop Bitcoin. There's always going to be someone mining. What if they shut down the internet? What if they shut, what if they shut down the internet, guys? What are you going to do? Well, we've got solutions for that too as Bitcoiners. We've got things like these, right? Hard wallets loaded with 10,000 sats or 5,000 sats or 100,000 sats. And I'd argue that uh, I could still transact with Bitcoin. Here you go, Tristan. Can I get some beef? Sure, the network's down for a few days, but uh, I'm still good. Like, we could still transact and we don't need permission from anyone. Bitcoin is permissionless. It is full sovereignty. That's why for us in our group, we created what's called the crypto commandments. And crypto commandment number one is the dollar is garbage. It's just pretty simple, right? Again, the precious metals, folks, they can get on board with that. Here's number two, crypto commandment number two. Choose the freedom mindset. It's really pretty simple. I get to put into my body whatever I want to eat. And you can't make me eat tofu if I want to eat bison. I don't want to eat tofu. I will not do it. Tristan told me how not nutrient dense it is and how bad the proteins are. And I read it like it's not good for you. I'm not going to eat it. I need real meat. And you can't make me stop it because I can give you gold or silver and you can't stop me. And that's the same with Bitcoin as you can't stop me. It is immutable. You can't change anything about the properties of Bitcoin. There will always only be 21 million Bitcoin. So when you ask the question of why is Bitcoin so much valuable, what do these gold bugs have to say? I would look at them straight in the eye. If you're a financial advisor or you have a financial advisor, I am not one of those. Let's be clear. This is not financial advice. But if they're not talking to you about Bitcoin, I will tell you to fire them unequivocally. Fire your financial advisor, if they're not talking to you about the value of Bitcoin, because Bitcoin's proposition is no longer the sexy game of get in quick and make a lot of money. That is not why I value Bitcoin. That is not why we value silver and gold. We value Bitcoin, we value silver, we value gold because it retains its purchasing power against the hedge of inflation, against this crappy fiat system. So the goal is, if you work today, and your money brings in enough revenue to sustain you for two years worth of your lifestyle today. If you keep that in dollars next year, you won't be able to even sustain a year's lifestyle. But if you put it in Bitcoin, you may even be able to sustain five years of lifestyle. Maybe the rest of your life, if you understand the idea of borrowing against your appreciating asset and you don't sell your appreciating asset, you take a loan against it. Maybe your spending is so little against the appreciating value of your Bitcoin, you never have to work again. But I'm not banking on that. I'm banking on the fact that the banks are corrupt. They will continue to devalue the dollar. And we need a system that exists outside it. And it's not just in our food supply. It's not just in our local supply chain. It's all the way down to our financial systems. And we need to get back to this idea of community. And one of the ways that this community transacts value, let's face it, do you really want to swap gold bars? Hey, Tristan, if I buy some beef for you, can I send you some gold? No. Yeah, like you're going to be like, why would you do that? Like send me the digital version of it. I don't, 
I don't even know what to do with your gold. Like, I know you guys say have some, and I agree. Having some precious metals is really wise because if crap does hit the fan, people in the general society right now, you know, when you ask why is money valued, you're right. Money is what people value most. I'd argue in my community, I could probably maybe even decide that, uh, like, if I wanted to sell a, a round of ammo, I bet you nine millimeter would buy me some chicken around here. Okay. In some other areas, they might, that might not work. But silver, globally, gold, globally is recognized as value. When people come and take over your country, they don't care about your paper money. They care about your gold and your silver, your hard assets, your diamonds, your rubies, your gems, your assets. They don't care about your paper dollars. So what I would argue there is you still want a way to transact with people who are too stupid to understand the value of Bitcoin. For, you still have to get chicken for your family. Okay, so have what people want to take. Have some liquor. Have some of those mini bottles of alcohol as a prepper. That's what I love doing. You know, I've got lots of cool solutions of things that other people might want to barter with. I don't like that stuff. I don't need it. But if someone wants to trade me alcohol for what I need, that is fine. I will have their unit of measure that they value. And that's the goals. Probably having some silver and gold may not be an unwise decision here. And I do believe that as the BRICS nations continue to go down the path of gold-backed currencies, we're going to see more intrinsic value in silver and in gold. It's kind of time for that cycle to hit. Yeah, uh, it's a lot there that is super important, I think, for people to understand about Bitcoin. Um, yeah, immutable, permissionless. Um, you talk about the transactability of it compared to gold, superior, already trading at like a huge... Um, uh, price increase uh, in Nigeria and other countries, which is interesting because I think, you know, dependent on the, you know, macroeconomic environment of the nation, like we see Nigeria, Venezuela, Argentina, actually then resembles a, a different, you know, form of what it is. And there it's it's definitely a form of money here in the US, probably still like a safe haven investment vehicle. But for you, it's, it's kind of the ultimate, you know, freedom form. But my question is, you, you give this example of going to court and showing the transaction history. So I'm curious, as obviously all of us are trying to decentralize our lives to the utmost uh, ability, we're trying to get outside of these systems, talking about BRICS nations adopting the dollar weakening. Does privacy become a concern for you? Because you know this is a distributed public ledger. Um, Non-KYC sats are a big deal. Obviously, you probably have a lot of non-KYC sats uh, with a mining background, but I'm, I'm curious. The <laughs> no, he doesn't. The feds don't listen to this. Don't worry. But um, is that a concern for you? And, and what do you think happens um, as we lose kind of this traction uh, as the global reserve currency with the U.S. dollar, do you think it gets ugly? Like, how do you see this sort of playing out? And then, how do you see kind of government, uh, quote unquote, regulation attempt to regulate Bitcoin, um, kind of happen over the next, you know, five years, ten years, twenty years, perhaps? Okay. So I had to write down some notes because you asked a lot of questions, but I'm going to try to cover that. In most simple terms, I will say that the dollar right now has a serious problem, right? We have a sovereignty debt crisis. We've got tons of dollar-denominated debt that is out there, and they are in a cycle where they can no longer afford even the interest rates just on the payments coming up. 
So we're, you know, if you listen to someone like Joe Brown from Heresy Financial, the problem is much more severe than we'd like to admit. Um, and we've got a reckoning coming. I believe that the way that blockchain solves this is by understanding inherently that it's purchasing power that you're saving. And the the short answer to that is when you understand intrinsically what Bitcoin does, it's a conservation of power, a conservation of energy. And you could even argue there was a book written by Jason Lowry that Dylan talks about often called Soft War. Are you guys familiar with that book? The idea was that Bitcoin is not just a financial instrument, it's actually an instrument of power. The idea that Bitcoin in itself is more than just the idea of finances. It's the idea that it will be the reason why you start wars in the future over gold, over oil, over Bitcoin. So when you start thinking about these types of scenarios that are coming up, especially as you include things like the BRICS nations and their need, they still need dollars, right? And it's it's not going to happen overnight. It'll be slowly and then suddenly. Because what you're starting to see now are problems like when it comes to privacy, they're trying to release things like WorldCoin. Have you guys heard about that? So, uh, yeah, I'm not doing that. Like, it's pretty simple. Um, don't fall for the things that are made to appear like Bitcoin. There is only one thing like Bitcoin. There is no other Bitcoin. I am a Bitcoin maximalist always will be a Bitcoin maximalist. Yeah, there's opportunity in other altcoins. I I agree. There are ways to maximize your Bitcoin leverage by entering into some of these altcoins. And should you do it well, you can profit in Satoshis, but you do not value things in dollars. And I think we're moving away from that idea. That's why I created satpulse.io, which will be coming live here at the end of the month. It will be a chart system where everything, gold, silver, cattle, average U.S. income, whatever we're looking at, corn, wheat, it'll all be in Satoshic value over time. How many sats does it take you to buy that same product? And I suspect as we go out in time, it will stop costing you a thousand Bitcoin for a home or 50 Bitcoin for a home or 20 Bitcoin for a home. In the future, could you buy one home for a Bitcoin? And in the future, would you actually have to sell that Bitcoin or could you just Take that Bitcoin and back the property of another home. I mean, how could this work? And when you stop thinking in dollars and you start thinking in Satoshic value, you're, everything changes. You're no longer, the dollar is irrelevant. And again, slowly, they will de- decrease the need for the dollar because they don't want cash because cash is more private than what they currently have. To answer the question on privacy, I don't believe that doxing yourself is wise because Anything in a system could be used against you, for you, against you. And I I don't want something that's for my benefit, right? It sounds to me like a pyramid scheme. Hey, you sign up, we give you these coins. Anyone can get these coins. Sign up, your friends, you get coins, they get coins. They sign someone else up, they all get coins. You get coins for everyone that coined you underneath. It's like, and what is the value here? What are you actually creating here? There is no value to the end user. So when you start to think about those, those structures, Then you start thinking about things like Monero. What about Monero as a privacy chain? I value Monero as a privacy chain. I have Monero. I like it. What about Litecoin and Mimblewimble on Litecoin? That's a great thing. What about Lightning Network on top of the Bitcoin network? Great way to settle transactions. But Bitcoin is not truly anonymous. It's pseudo-anonymous. 
you can still see what the address is. And as soon as you spend that Bitcoin, any one of those Bitcoin, any Satoshi value, anywhere where you have to KYC, you're no longer pseudo-anonymous. Now you're doxxed and they can tell who you are and they can come to you and say, hey, where'd you get your Bitcoin from? Okay, so now we know whose that address is. And eventually, as you start using Bitcoin, believe it or not, we do this with pro-Bitcoin solutions. We help people recover cryptos, especially during like hacks when their funds are being unstaked, kind of get in and beat the hackers. And uh, usually we're pretty successful because we understand how it works. But due to the nature of cryptocurrency, once you give someone access to your keys, it's gone, right? Like there's no way to like pretend to get it back. What we can do is help you get access as it's getting unstaked before they get access to it. But if it's gone, it's gone. And if you start understanding the value of each network individually and the use case for each network, you'll find opportunity. But Bitcoin is not anonymous. And the idea of them trying to regulate it, it's going to happen. And some regulation is probably needed and good for us to be able to grow further. But um, I don't think that there is really truly any way to anonymously have Bitcoin than if you mine it yourself. I think that's the only way to truly have the anonymity that you're looking for is where's your Bitcoin? What Bitcoin? Well, you didn't buy it from anywhere. What did you, where do you do with the miners? Nothing. I couldn't do anything with it. They broke down and they fell in a boating accident. Well, I thought you paid $6 billion of electricity bills. I don't know. That company went bankrupt. I, I don't know. My wife does the finances. She's a nurse. She's a smart one. I just failed. You know, where's your Bitcoin? I don't have any Bitcoin. You can go to China with the tattoos, put them together. Next thing you know, do you have assets? I mean, how can you travel with currency across borders without any friction? No $10,000 minimum limit. You could literally have a QR code anywhere. You could have it in the bottom of your shoe. You can tattoo it anywhere. You could send it in an email and get it on the other side of the world and have nothing on you at all. I mean, the value proposition of Bitcoin and trying to regulate it, that's the one thing we've seen consistently. Bitcoin is a commodity that they can't really do anything about. They can try to manipulate it, but at the end of the day, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin. There's no way to sell more than 21 million Bitcoin. You could try to trick people into telling them that you have some kind of Bitcoin for sale, but we all know on-chain analytics says you've got like what? By 2032, 99% of the Bitcoin will be mined. So have at it. Sorry, I got distracted by a black widow that's trying to crawl over here. I'm debating my next course of action. Dude, you uh, you stop immediately and run. Go. Go, go, go. They're pretty common in the in the Rocky Mountains. They're actually yeah. not as dangerous as you you'd think. Yeah, yo, Tristan, we ain't doing no meetups around Patrick, you, dog. <laughs> Patrick, I'm not you, coming anywhere crazy. Yeah. You know, I had a few in my garage last year, uh, Ryan. You know what's oh, funny? I never funny. noticed, and this is totally just a side note from what for you, what we were just talking about. But I never noticed black widows. The entire I've lived here for ten years. Why are you still sitting down? What are you doing there? <laughs> well, I, well, it's pretty. It's like there's a little thing. There's a barrier between. He's you good. Me. He's good. But but what's funny is like I've been here for years, never witnessed any of them until about this last year, and I've seen them all over the place, like camping all over the bathrooms. Like every bathroom I've gone into camping has them. No you matter need what. to move. You need to move. <laughs> well, my brother actually got bit by a brown recluse as a child. Um, oh, and his whole leg swelled up. 
and we took him to the doctor. Luckily, it was in his leg because if it was up here, he'd be gonzo. Um, gave him like twelve shots in his ass, and um, <laughs> and he was fine. But it was it was quite the event. I remember it very vividly. Um, but yeah, I've never seen Black Widows until Dog, get this year. up and run. I don't know what you're still doing. Pat, Patrick's down. like, I'm so glad I live in Oregon and not Utah. <laughs> if you knew it's me okay. at all, it's Ryan, a- you'd understand why this is a big deal for me. Like, I don't want to go to Australia like so bad, even though I'm a scuba diver because of spiders and snakes. And it's like my biggest fear. I don't know how you're still sitting there, Ryan. I'm, uh, I'm going there in November. I'll have to go report back it, for you, bro. <laughs> I might just move over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Otherwise, but, I won't be uh, able to focus. But no. So what I what I was kind of thinking when you were talking about that too is like Ooh, it's, it seems some water. Okay, actually, I'll get my water when I'm done. Freaking black widows, just like it's no big deal. Hey, They're not very elegant. Bombs are falling. Movement. But but sorry about all the trash. This isn't my house. Um. Uh. But uh. Well, I was thinking about during during what you were talking about. I was like, I totally, I totally agree with you. I mean, the hard cap is, has all this stuff. I actually wanted to ask you what because I've never talked about this with anybody. But like, what happens after we hard cap at twenty one million? Like, what happens after that? And then, firstly, though, I feel like there's there's lots of answers to this, but I feel like like why why shouldn't why wouldn't the U.S. want to be going all in? On Bitcoin, why wouldn't it want it to make legal tender and all this stuff? Because they know that we're screwed. Like we, there's, I mean, everyone knows about the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is a universal thing that everybody knows about. They know the name at the bare minimum. Um, but like you said, with our current issues, it's sort of like we've built this up, push it to the next person every couple of years. No one's wanting to solve it. Everyone's there cashing in on their investments. Nancy, I'm calling you out. Everyone's in there making money, doing their thing. For their own own needs, like I get it. Don't get me wrong. I'm about the money life, but I just feel like there's this opportunity that we could have as a country with making a legal tender that we don't take, but other countries aren't. We're just letting everything slip away while we're trying to let the one percent. Well, I hate using that term, but we're trying to let the few that are up there grab as much as they can of what they have because you know they're doing it, and then everyone else falls into disarray. Government comes in, everyone's relying on them. We got CBDC, we got all this stuff coming. Um, I just, I just, it just boggles my mind, I guess, the amount of, I don't know if greed's the right word, but there's just so much, I feel like there's so much opportunity that could, like, this could have gone a different narrative, yeah. but it isn't. And so, where do you see us going? But also, where do you see Bitcoin post the, the 21 million cap? Because I've never really talked about that with anybody. I've never really looked into it. So this is just me freeballing it. So we uh, won't be around for the 21 million cap. Like we'll be long gone. Um, like that's in like 2140 or something like that. But up until then, you rely on the miners to be able to continue supporting the network. So it truly does turn into a, a very, um, you know, natural market, free market, right? Those who can afford to sustain the power production will continue to do it. But I suspect what will happen, it was it will become held up by the miners who will get paid fees for every transaction that they settle. And today we look at that as, okay, that's not a big deal. But let's let's really take a look at this, right? Today, one of these cards is only 10,000 bits. 10,000 bits is 0.01 Bitcoin, so 1% of a Bitcoin. 
today, 1% of a Bitcoin is about, you know, what, 20, 260 bucks, right? That's not that much money right now. And 10,000 bits is not that much money right now. But when you move forward and Bitcoin is a million dollars, you're looking at a different value for Satoshi value. So having a four sat fee a million times a day is enough money to sustain the, the environment that you need to sustain the network. Because what will happen is at some point, the, the miners will drop off because they won't be able to afford the productivity anymore. So you will, you will weed out these miners, but you will still have institutions. And this really hits on what Jason Lowry was talking about is the U.S. is losing this war. There is a commodity out here that is in shorter supply. It is more scarce than any other war has been started over. You know, nothing like this has ever existed. And we've gone to wars over gold and oil for many years. Uh, and you're right. The 1%, you know, I know that that word may not be like one of your favorites, but I like that because it is the government elite. And you ask me, why don't they, the U.S. just print dollars to get Bitcoin? I don't know. I don't know why they wouldn't buy Bitcoin. But what we do know is they've been seizing Bitcoin and they've been auctioning off Bitcoin. And I suspect it's because they're not really for America, right? They're not really for our benefit. So when you ask why not, why not help the dollar? I would argue that I don't think the plan is to give us prosperity and health. That's, I would argue that's why we're doing what we're doing. That's why we're growing our own food and taking control of our own health and deciding what is right for us and our families is because we no longer trust them to tell us what to do. Right? I made a video on this yesterday about the novel coronavirus and it's coming out again. But there's nothing novel about it. We know what it is. It's round three for you. It might be round six for someone else, but it doesn't matter. I mean, you're, you know, you're probably like, I got COVID round three. I don't even know if it's COVID. It just kind of sounds like COVID. So I'm going to call it COVID, but heck, it's just COVID round three. I don't know. I didn't get tested anyways. I'm just going to assume it is. Everyone's got COVID, right? There's nothing new about it. So why would we lock down? Why would we vax up when we know it doesn't work? Why would we do any of this garbage? Again, we have learned our lesson. I will not comply. And I will work in systems and structures that share my values, share my beliefs, share the things that I need for my family. And to try to stand in my way. But I also value other items that we talked about earlier that you could use to trade. So I, you just really can't stop in my way. I'm a, I'm a right. It's my right as a free citizen to go out, to walk the damn streets, to take my kids on a bike ride. And if you get in my way, I will seriously run you over. It will be not a problem. We will have no debate. I shoot twice to the chest and one to the head. Don't get in my way. I don't care what you guys think. This is my family. Don't mess with me. Are you interested in 100% grass-fed, grass-finished bison meat? I'm excited to be a partner with Falls Family Ranches. Based in Wyoming, Falls Family Ranches is raising high-quality bison meat the way nature intended. As a native large ruminant of North America, bison is one of the most nutrient-dense foods you can consume. If you're interested in trying out their bison boxes, use code TRISTAN, T-R-I-S-T-A-N, 10 for 10% off your first order. Yeah, I guess that's really just the hard pill to swallow that. I mean, we've all sort of accepted as being like, you kind of are out on your own. Like we, we, I want to kind of get into community too. I'll let, I'll let Tristan jump in because I know he's probably got something burning that's more interesting than me. But um, it, it's just sort of like that sad reality of like, you, you can't, especially after the last couple of years, it's like you can't put faith in the systems that 
currently exists because there really isn't anything that was ever there <laughs> for you, really. No, you, you should trust the media. They've been telling you the truth. <laughs> yeah, well, my family's done that and it's been working out great for them. So, <laughs> I think it's just the incent- the incentives are just misaligned, right? Like, why doesn't a politician advocate for buying, you know, printing USD and buying Bitcoin? Because they probably won't see the fruit that that would bear in their time of office, right? Like, it's all just such a quick turnover. They're trying to just get these short-term outcomes and... Yeah, the incentives are just well, we so see some misaligned. changes, though, Tristan, right? Like yeah. even in Florida, you see a lot of regulations coming out, a lot of laws in favor. In Texas, they're protecting Bitcoin miners. They're not allowing mm-hmm. them to charge them extra money. Like some places are understanding the value proposition of Bitcoin, and they are not going to let the federal government get in between them and their ability to do their job constitutionally, what they promised their citizens they'd do. And they're bringing in the Bitcoin companies. They are helping us miners in Texas. They're giving us, you know, tons of uh, opportunities to recoup our investment is a good way to say it. You know, it's a win-win situation. We provide jobs. We provide economic stability. We provide grid stability. These are things where they're going, Could you know, I, I look at this and I remember telling my wife the story of you own a $300,000 house. Today, you could go out and buy 100 Bitcoin because Bitcoin's at $3,000. In 2017, 18, I was telling my wife, like, we should take a loan against the house, buy as much Bitcoin as possible. And if you had done that today and you held on to that Bitcoin, how many homes could you buy in 2025 with the same value of that one house? 100 Bitcoin. How many homes could that buy? Like, you're not even having to spend that money. You just take loans against those assets. And all you do is put minimum down payments and you can buy an entire neighborhood, not just the house. And then you can collect rent. And what do you do with that rent? Buy more Bitcoin. Your whole goal is stacking sats. If you are looking for financial stability for your family, you are right. They, Our parents, they messed up. They did not do something different. You know, uh, one of my favorite movies I talked about this was Boondock Saints. He says the only thing for evil to thrive is the indifference of good men. Like, it's up to us to do something different. That what are we going to do? Are we going to pretend like we can continue raising the debt limit forever? It's like a credit card. Like when you run out of spending limit, you just call the bank and go, "Hey, hey, ran out of money. Increase the credit limit, please. Thanks. We get to go buy more money." That's not how it works. We're passing the buck on, as you said, to our kids. And I could tell you, I don't care what dollar denominated debt you're going to hang with my kids. They won't care because it's just going to be Bitcoin that they're caring about. The dollar won't matter to them anymore because it will be worth so little. It won't really matter. They can continue deflating the dollar, but my kids are protected because they have an insurance policy outside the system. They can live outside the system. I am not giving them debt. They will not be responsible as slaves to the system. They are not going to be serving our government bureaucracies. They will not be putting money into 401ks, which are set up to steal from you in another way. I'm not going to play that game. My kids understand crypto commandment number one. When their uncle gives them a $100 bill, my uncle was confused. Why isn't he happy? It's $100. My son's looking at him like, thanks. (laughs) Dad, can we go buy some... I don't know what he was going to say, crypto, silver. I don't remember what he said, but he knew one thing. He doesn't need any dollars in his safe anymore. He's got plenty of those stacked up. He has his minimum amount. 
He can cover his debts, which is nothing. So he's really happy. And he understands the value of real money. He's not saving dollars. My son will not be the kid who saved $150 by the time he's 16. He'd be the one who saved 6,530 sats a month, if that's what he does. You know, it's like every day, stacking sats, dollar cost averaging. That's the way to change our kids' future is by teaching them instead of going to the ATM and getting dollars or swiping your card and you buy that really bright looking red meat at Walmart, you, dad doesn't buy meat there. What do you, what is that meat? That's not even meat. What color is that? What is that meat? Is that chicken meat? Like my son wouldn't even recognize it. He'd be like, is that alligator? Why is it so red? Like, what is these lines? There's no lines in the meat. What's going on, dad? Like, where's the white lines in the meat? That doesn't even look like wine color. You know, he would look at it and be like, this isn't right. People think real meat is McDonald's meat. Like they don't understand the difference between what is real and what is unnatural anymore. And that's one of the things that we love about Bitcoin. You can't fake it. It, There's nothing like Bitcoin. Nothing has ever been created like Bitcoin. There's only one thing better than Bitcoin is Jesus Christ himself. That's it. Other than that, I have nothing else to say. Like you can't compare Bitcoin to anything else. The truth resonates, right? Like that's what Bitcoin is all about is that the truth will resonate. And I think that's why everything you're saying is is so brilliant because it's like once you look through this lens of society, of everything, you go down all these rabbit holes. It's the same issue everywhere, but it's the same solution everywhere. And it's getting back to connectivity, to decentralized networks, to local networks, building community and valuing quality because you're val- when you value quality, you value the proof of work because you don't achieve quality without work being put in and you can't cheat that. But in the real system, the truth will always come out in our modern system. It's guised with marketing. It's guised with everything under the sun. Yeah. And that's why I think it's, it's interesting to think about from the United States perspective, because we do have an aspect of decentralization in our government, and that's the state level, right? So there are these opportunities for states. Forget about even at the state level, there's opportunities for local governments. I mean, yeah. the other week I was talking here with uh, uh, the one other or two other Bitcoiners in my town, just 2,000 people here. And one of them is brother-in-law with the mayor. I'm like, yeah, we need to orange pill the mayor. Like imagine if we put 10% of this town's resources into Bitcoin. You, These are the types of changes that could be made today. And in 10 years, you will completely have changed the trajectory of your local community with one decision. And that's where it gets really exciting for me. Is I like, had a client call me last week. I won't say any names or reveal anything, but... Uh, they did really well a few years back and um, they decided they wanted to sell their home. They agreed it was like a good time for them and their family to sell their homes and they bought a bunch of Bitcoin. And here's the story. He comes to me and says, Patrick, I'm a church going man. I believe I should tithe from my gains. I'd like to give to my church, but I don't want to give them dollars. I want to give them Bitcoin. Can you help me with that? I said, Absolutely. I said, but I think you should wait a little bit. We waited, we waited, and I said, okay, pull the trigger now. Bitcoin's like at 15 something. This is the time to go. We get him in around 15. He calls me a few months ago on Bitcoin, you know, like just a little bit when Bitcoin hits at 30,000. He goes, hey, uh, the church wants to know if something happens to me, can they contact you? Because they're seeing what's going on here. Because, you know, when you talk a significant amount of Bitcoin and it doubles, 
you, you are really multiplying. A huge amount gets very big and it becomes overwhelming when you see the success of Bitcoin. And I just told him one thing. Yes, we haven't seen nothing yet, though. Dot, dot, dot. That was it. Thumbs up. We're all done because even churches as micro systems and micro businesses, even micro strategies owns 160,000 Bitcoin. What happens when Michael Saylor dies? Like, what if his, all of it is left to one of his daughters who marries a Chinese person? Does all that Bitcoin now go to China? Where we start measuring nation's value and control by how much Bitcoin they own, like how much of the Bitcoin they control, will that be how an economy's purchasing power is derived? Will we value the SDR based on Bitcoin and gold value? Because I don't think you could do it off gold. We don't really know how much gold exists. We don't know that any country's honest about how much gold they have. But with Bitcoin, it's different. You guys are both on mute, by the way. Yeah, we know. We we know the 21 million and that's it. That's why it's so beautiful. But I kind of want to get into the community aspect because, right, like you guys on the economic preppers are really talking about cool stuff because there's a lot of skills. There's a lot of knowledge that people need to have to kind of become more decentralized, right? Like it's easy to say that, oh, I want to be more outside of the system. I want to be less reliant on centralized corporations, government entities, but how do I get there? So maybe you could give a quick spiel on like what you think personally are like the most important areas to focus on. Maybe just a couple things right off the bat. Like what's the elevator pitch to a newbie who's maybe they're a Bitcoiner, but they want to get more decentralized in the other facets of their life. That's a really great question. What I would honestly say is I'd look you in the eye and say, you matter and you have value. Like you as an individual have skills and resources and abilities that you could use to contribute to your community. So I would ask you to do a fair assessment of yourself and look at yourself first and say, like, am I ready personally to do this? And I remember when I was going through this journey, I remember, am I like financially prepared, physically prepared, spiritually prepared, like for what I believe is coming? And in many cases, I found the answer to be no. For example, physically, like if something happened, could I carry my kids, all of their backpacks to the car? Could I grab one of my kids and run? I didn't honestly know that I could. I could barely squat just the bar. And here I am. I have found solutions towards making myself better so that I am a more valuable member to my community. And I'd suggest that that's one great place to start is by just being a little bit introspective. And then secondly, stepping back and looking at your immediate family, your wife, your kids, your neighbors, the people that you would consider your immediate community and do an inventory of the things that you really need should some of the things we expect to happen. If you've been listening to our conversation, we believe that there's manipulation in food supply. We believe there's manipulation in finances. We believe that they're trying to control our thoughts and our actions and our behaviors and the way we respond by eliciting maybe even false narratives that we see all around us and propaganda that we all hate each other. And that's not true, right? Like, seriously, guys, have you guys ever like been to a grocery store and be like, I just really hate that guy like so much. Like, I just really want to punch him in the face. Like, you don't care. He doesn't matter enough for us to get that mad over. We go home and we tell like our friends like, dude, there was a crazy guy today. But yeah, I just walked away, like left them alone. Why? Because it 
there's like, you don't have that level of engagement. So what I would suggest is go back and remember that people around you, your community are your biggest asset. And then do it like an evaluation of what you have at home. I believe this is my personal opinion, not anyone else's opinion. My personal conviction is if you do not practice your second amendment rights, someone who does will come and take everything you've worked for when time gets hard. Because there are those people who look to prey on the vulnerable. So make sure that you are in a position where should someone come and break into your home and try to do something to your kids, that everyone in the neighborhood hears the biggest gun going off that they've ever heard. And it goes off for so long that they don't know what's happening. And when they ask, why did you shoot 6,000 rounds through your front door, Patrick? And you will say, I shot until I was sure the threat stopped. That's it. You've got to have a way to protect your family. You've got to be vigilant and also train with your weapon system. Understand what a target is. It's not a joke to just have a gun. I, I'm not advocating for irresponsible gun ownership. I'm advocating for protecting your family. And things like that would be, do you have door locks? Do you have solutions set in place for like security systems and lights that you know keep things lit up? And are you talking with your neighbors? Are you guys setting cameras up around the neighborhood so like you're all protected? How do you guys view security together? And then of course you get down to like food. You have enough food on hand. You have enough resources on hand. And then the stuff we've been talking about. How do you transact? Right. Once you've understood what you value and what you love, if you love making bread, maybe you've got a bread mill that you grab, and that's your contribution to the community. You know how to bake. I'm not going to bake but I'll definitely give you some silver for some that yummy apple fritter. I, I really want that. But make an inventory and plan. you got to plan. So if you've been hearing anything in the last like three-minute rant that I'm saying here is there are many things you can think about in many sectors of your life. You should do something today differently. Like if you're listening to this, guys, and you're here, these guys are bringing you information Every time that they're bringing you guys this information, it should drive you to change your behavior. It should be thought-provoking. It should make you think differently. So today, if you've taken something and you want to learn more, ask questions, do your own research, but really consider, are you ready to be part of the solution? Or are you just going to be a burden to those around you? Are you a mouth to feed or are you going to be able to help someone? And I, I would argue that I get back to the beginning, which is you as an individual have value. Like you matter. Like you matter to your friends, you matter to your family. Like people care about you individually, Tristan, Ryan, people love you and like they care about you. You can imagine who would be there for you. Are you ready to do that for them? Like, do you love them enough to be prepared for what we all see is happening around us? Because I don't think anything that we've said here leads us to believe that we have economic prosperity and peace coming, right? Is that what you guys are expecting? All of a sudden they're gonna be like, hey, you're right. We should have bought Bitcoin. <clears throat> We're going to go uh, sponsor a bunch of farms. Everything's going to be made locally. It's going to be a beautiful world. Like that's not what we're hearing at all. So if you're seeing what we're saying, then it is time for you to act. You must act. Man, that's a lot of good stuff. I'm sorry you're probably hitting a mower in the background. I'm but not. No mower. Are you good? All right. Then the mic's better than I thought on my headphones. But uh Everything you just said, like, really rings. I have conversations like this every single day with my girlfriend's parents, with my parents, with my brother, like, constantly just trying to knock it into their head of this idea that to me, it always goes back to the way you were raised. Maybe wasn't wrong per se, but it may not be conducive to what the future 
requires of you. And so I ask them every day, like, do you have a plan? Like, what is your plan if X, Y, Z happens? And I think part of the issue that needs to be addressed, and the only way you can really do this is through uh, innate curiosity and then also just generational wisdom, which you are doing with your children, which I really respect, is that you have to teach people to be resilient. And we live in a population where that's pretty much majority the opposite of that from a health perspective, from a critical thinking perspective, pretty much every facet you could think of, of being a human, we pretty much don't have those skills. And so that's why I think even on a fundamental level, like, sure, maybe you don't need to like learn to be a rancher um, right now or whatever. But I think there are skills um, on a homesteading perspective or in, in learning about Bitcoin and decentralization of your currency, like all people can be, everyone can be doing something. You don't have to be doing yeah. everything. And I think that's maybe the, the mismatch message that the average person gets from initially hearing a conversation like ours is like, Oh, I got to do all this stuff. But it's really about finding what areas, you know, you can excel in and really pursuing lean into your strengths, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, and then, and then kind of go from there. But I think what really lacks in in the aspect of, I just see it like in our school systems and, and everything. It's like, I, I really want people to break away from those and learn extracurricularly, for lack of a better word. Like that's where the real knowledge is going to benefit you. Because I even went, like I have a degree in digital media and basically like video editing. And I'll tell you right now that everything I learned about video editing came after I graduated and I just did video editing. Had nothing yeah. to do with going to school for video editing. And so I probably didn't even need to do that. But I didn't need to worry about cost or any of that because because my parents had you know planned on me going to college, save money and all that stuff. So I didn't have any debt. So I was pretty lucky in that scenario. But I see people going into fields expecting jobs. And we see that that doesn't work in today's modern environment. People graduate and can't get jobs. So... I think you need to make the system or better your system work for you like you have done versus rely on a system that is innately built on a stool with two legs or one leg now. So I think everything you said is just rings really true. And Tristan, I don't know if you have anything to jump in. I kind of see you leaning forward, (laughs) but I think that's part of community is like nobody knows our neighbors, like get to know your neighbors that's one thing I think the community here in Salt Lake, if you're in the LDS community, there's a lot of stuff for religion I don't need to get into. But one thing that the LDS community does really well is they, yeah. if, if shit hit the fan, which it will at some point in one form or another, they will have each other's backs because they do have a system built out through the church. Oh, and bro. they have, it's wild. So awesome. They're so good. And, you know, th- I, I can tell you my faith system isn't exactly aligned with the LDS church and I, and that's okay. But what I can tell you is this, if half of the world, just even 10% of the world were as genuine about trying to reach their community as a lot of these people we see going out every day that we might make fun of, like the elders that come and knock at the door. But if you actually like, if even a fraction of us did that same show of outward love, the world at a whole would be a much better place. You know, and I, I, I won't go into that, but the other thing about that community that they do very well 
is they are very good preppers. I've learned a lot from a lot of those people. People laugh at the word when I say Mormon milk, but a lot of people know what that is. Like it's in the basement. We've got root beer flavors and chocolate. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not necessarily trying to get religious, but I am saying that conventional wisdom would say you be prepared and not scared. When that kind of stuff happens, you guys will be ready. You won't be, you know, that won't be a problem for you. You'll probably, you'll be thinking, okay, time to put the plan in action. Everyone, shoulders down, lights off. Everyone do this. You got stations. We're ready. We know how we're going to work. You get your radios on. We got the right channels. We're ready to go. Like we've been prepared. And in the event that it doesn't happen, I don't feel like you're going to feel bad for buying that extra can of beans because that's probably one of the best performing assets over the last two years was a can of beans. Yeah. I mean, if you take no action, you're not going to be in a better state of mind because you've done literally nothing to alleviate your concern or your solution yeah. or your problem, I should say, with a solution. Um, and that's the problem. I I like to be careful about getting too like neurotic about you know, the doomer mindset. But again, if you're doing actionable things to prepare yourself, you really shouldn't be living in a concerned state of mind. Like for me, that was, you know, moving out of a big city, um, full-time Wyoming. Yeah, I have firearms, I'm hunting, have access to local producers and ranchers. I buy Bitcoin. Like I'm doing pretty well for what I wanted to achieve. And it's always this constant state of progress. Like you're not going to be able to solve all your issues like immediately. But if you do nothing, you live in a big city, you're completely dependent on centralized systems for food, for healthcare, for income, for literally everything, then yeah, you're going to be so easily manipulated. You're going to be at the mercy of regulation. I mean, you know, if the lockdowns or whatever happens with COVID comes back, I mean, most people, they might resist, but then guess what? Oh, their job, they'll have to get fired if they yeah, don't want to really comply. impact me because like, I've already set up myself for that. If it happens exactly. again, I don't need it. So it's going to happen again. It might be, you know, there might be more of a resistance. But again, put yourself in a place to oh, have will. some influence. I will incite resistance. I will not comply and I will lead it. Like, no, there, I'm unequivocally not the guy to talk to about this. <laughs> I, no, no, I it's good. because so hard against you guys. It will break your neck. It's uh, It's interesting to think because for me, COVID like woke so many people up, which I mean, for me, it was the greatest thing that ever happened in my life because it was a huge, you know, inflection point of doing what I want to do. And, you know, working remote allowed me to do so many things. And then, yeah, so many other people I got connected with with the same mindset. And, and I was already pre-programmed from just being in the health community, gone down this self-healing rabbit hole. I was like ripe for just jumping right into the de- decentralized bandwagon. And that's why I wrote the book that I wrote. And here we are. But we hope that more people have become educated. But I still see it. It's, it is a small percentage still that are really passionate or adamant about being outside of the system. Yeah. But if you are one of those people, you have a responsibility to bring others along with you and educate them in your community. Like we're saying, you know, this is still early. Bitcoin, we're still so early you can bring a whole community with you if you put in the work to convince them that this really does matter. And I just wanted to add too, really quickly, like on that point is it's less so about the doomsdaying stuff and more so about 
um, be cognizant of your surroundings. I mean, so many people just don't even know what's going on. It's like, and it's built, and that whole system is built up against you because they they don't want you to know what's going on. They want you to be concerned with just surviving. And as long as you're just worried about surviving, you won't you won't see any of the stuff coming. And it's less so about the the being prepped for like apocalypse. In my mind, it's sort of like, what's your intention? I feel like we just walk around. And this was me for so many years before like my health issues in 2019 was I just was aimlessly going around without intention. And I feel like we have these blinders on, these blinders of convenience that everyone's addicted to. And that's why you see sort of like in 2020, like this kind of awakening happening. And then you see people kind of come in and then you see about half or more of those people kind of fall out again because stuff gets back to normal. They go back to the convenience culture. Um, and so that's why at the end of the day, it's about reaching that smaller percentage of people that stayed awake. And I think it's less about, I mean, we've had conversations about this, less about reaching like the masses and more about taking along the people people you can yeah. and care about. Because those are the people that are going to make the difference. It's less so about reaching the mass and just reaching the ones that will listen. Exactly. It's The intention part is actually a huge part. You know, when you ask me simply, what is my intention? especially when you hit like on the school part, you know, for me, my intentions are very simple. I want to be prepared so that come what may, my kids will barely even notice something is going on. Homeschool doesn't change. You think I'm going to put my kids, my kids know you want to go to college, you pay for it yourself. The only thing I will pay for is if you graduate with like a veterinary degree because you really love animals and you become a vet, that'll pay for your college when you're done. You want to go to undergrad, waste your money, do that. If you choose not to go to college, I'll pay for your travel for the next five years. Go travel the world. Go get some real education. By the time they're 18, they better have failed in at least four or five businesses that they have started. Like maybe succeeded in one. I'm okay with that too, but I don't care. I will put money. They have created their own cryptocurrencies, their own websites, their own shirts, their own bracelets. Like they make me stuff and I'm okay with that. I will always support an education that teaches them to be critical thinkers, but I will not put them in a system that's indoctrinating them to become slaves and good worker bees. That's not how my kids do it. And my kids have looked at people and say, no, I don't want to do that. My son has said, why? Well, I don't want to be a plumber or anything like that. I want to own my own business. I'm not going to, I might own many businesses as what Mason will tell you. I might own all of your businesses, but he's not going to care. He's not going to be stuck in that system. They won't know the difference. And my other intention is as a father, I hold the front line. You want to come to my family, you come through me. You want to talk about my family's food supply, you come through me. You want to come have a conversation about vaccines, you come through me. You want to do anything about my family, you come through me. And I am not going to be someone that you're going to come through easily. I promise you, we will all die before you come through me. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think it's a mindset that, you know, is kind of needed is, is really providing education or opportunity for education that, that matters, that's valuable. Um, obviously, everyone's situation is different, but I mean, you don't need to have a lot of money to give your kids a valuable education as, as no, they're getting don't. older. If, if anything, it's uh, just as easy to do that in any situation. But that's the next generation. We've talked to folks on this podcast like Matt Hill who are talking about, you know, that's it's really about the children because the Bitcoin standard is not going to happen in the next 10 years and probably yeah. not in the next 30 years, maybe. Um, but 
it's really about the children and the next generations and changing the mindset uh, early on because right now, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't talk to many like 14-year-olds to 18-year-olds, but I know it's bad. I live in an echo chamber kind of talking to you guys all day, but it's it's bad. And, you know, we need to really make a change because that is what is going to be, you know, the next generation getting jobs or, or getting into positions of power. And yeah, it has to start from the beginning and you have the personal responsibility. You have the opportunity. I mean, this is life's greatest opportunity as a human being is to raise the next generation of children in a better manner than you were raised. And that's what life's all about. So I think you're embodying that, Patrick, which is which is awesome. And uh, yeah, I appreciate you coming on here, man. This is a fantastic talk. I want to ask you, where can people find more of everything that you're doing uh, if they want to listen to you and uh, kind of see what you got going on? Yeah, for sure. Twitter is usually the best place to get a hold of me. Patrick Hakeem, 21M. 21M, if you guys know, of nice. course, 21 million Bitcoin. <laughs> but uh, I got a show called Sat Pulse, and that's going live. Well, we've got the Vegas Symposium coming up, um, you know, but I would hate to end without acknowledging what you talked about. You said this word, body, and I just think you have a, a great one, Tristan. <laughs> Thanks, brother. We need to, we need to get in a, a workout in person sometime Heck soon yeah. and get you some bison, get you some, some high quality meat as well. And yeah, this is awesome. This is what it's all about. People is, you know, connecting through already connections that I had um, from great people we've talked to like Ben Justman on this podcast. Yeah. Um, and it's really fantastic. I think the momentum is growing. Uh, we're spreading more and more education and that's what it's all about. So appreciate you guys for jumping on and thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Decentralized Radio. See you next time. Mm-hmm.